and welcome to Cat Out of the Bag. I'm Cat Hennessy, and in this podcast, nothing is off limits. Hello, queens, and welcome back to another week of Cats Out of the Bag. I am so excited for this episode. I have Shayla and Lola joining me. They are the headmistresses for Seven Days of Domination. This is an episode you guys have all been asking for for so long. So I feel like we're all going to learn so much together and I just can't wait to get cracking. So let's bring them in. Welcome, guys. Hi, hello. <laughs> this is um actually my first episode I've done with two guests. So it's really exciting. It's never too early for a threesome. Truly. <laughs> I know that we've only just met, but we would like you to join our threesome right now. We saw your vibe from across the bar and we like really liked your style. So you want to join us like a little bit? What <laughs> <laughs> a threesome. <laughs> I love it. So I guess like for my listeners that don't know Let's say they don't know anything about you. What can you guys both tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Seven Days of Domination? Yeah. So I am Lola Jean. I am one half of the brains behind Seven Days of Domination. Um, I myself am a sex educator, a fetish wrestler, and the world record holder for volume squirting. So in addition to all the amazing stuff we do with Seven Days of Domination, both of us kind of have our our side hustles, our main hustle. I don't know. They're all just hustle hustles at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Mistress Shayla Lang. I am uh, the other half of Seven Days of Domination. I am a full-time professional dominatrix and I own New York City's largest female-owned dungeon. Oh my gosh, guys. I'm like so impressed. <laughs> um, what did you say largest female? Or, largest or so we're in New York City and there are a number, it's truly a kink mecca. Um, there's so many prodoms here. There's so many kink parties. There's so many dungeons. Um, and mine is the biggest one that's owned by a woman. Uh, it's 2,000 square feet. It's way too big, actually. Sometimes I struggle <laughs> wow. with how big it is. But it is, yeah, it is one of the largest and definitely the largest owned by a woman and by a professional. Um, all the other ones are owned by just subby dudes who are not don't work in the industry or have never worked in the industry yeah and probably have like no idea about it you know they design it from a man's point of view and men are notoriously bad at interior design so (laughs) it's they're fine they're some of them are quite lovely uh actually but mine is every time somebody i rent my studio to other professional dominatrixes and every single one of them has says oh the ergonomics and the workflow of this it's you can tell that it was designed by somebody who works here so rather than it just being scary and intimidating it's I try to have an ergonomic dungeon because comfortable bondage, you can keep somebody in longer. And if I don't have to flail around looking for my gloves or my lube or my toys or whatever, if everything's all in the right places in the right workflow, it's just so much easier. Yeah, right. Cool. Um, okay. I feel like I have so many questions to ask about both of those things you've just told me. So I'm going to go with the squirting thing first. What do you mean you hold a record for like, just tell me about that. <laughs> so this is absolutely nothing to do with seven days of domination, just a fun no, aside. <laughs> but um, yeah, I actually defended my record last month and beat it by 100 milliliters. But I, within a one minute period, I squirted 1,350 milliliters using only the assistance of my hand. So no other people, Stop. no toys, um, no distance, just volume only. 
it was a lot okay, of liquid. So it was so I, much liquid. I watched her do it and it was just this enormous bowl full of squirt. It was crazy. What? I'm like so jealous because I've never squirted before. So I'm sitting here being like, oh my God, like just envious. That's amazing. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> and then <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. I love it. That's so good. And then what about, um, and then your um, dungeon that you have, is that the right way of pronouncing that? Yeah. Yeah. Dungeon. Uh, okay, the, cool. It's the colloquial term and it's uh, it's also the term I use. So it's, it's the scientific term, if you will, the dungeon. I love it. So how does one go there and what, like, do you, is it open to the public? Do you have to book in? Like what's the general vibe there? So mine is industry only. Um, and it is the, it's the, one of the only dungeons that is industry only. So I don't throw parties that are open to the public. I don't let uh, civilians, if you will, uh, non-industry people come in and rent it. So if you want to have a date night, you're traveling through New York and you want to have a sexy date night in my dungeon, you cannot do that. You have to go somewhere else. Um, really? Part of it's a and liability what, thing. And yeah. part of it is because we've lost. So uh, sex workers don't have a lot of places to work, right? We can't just put hang a shingle out front and say, hey, this is a sex dungeon, come on in. Because for many, 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 many years, it was blatantly illegal. You'd have stings, you'd have arrests, and we want to minimize that. And so sex workers sort of banded together over the years to create their own spaces to work. Sometimes they work out of hotel rooms, sometimes they work out of other dungeons, things like that. And so my space, I really wanted to protect as a space for sex workers exclusively to work because during the pandemic, we lost so many spaces and where people were normally working. And when you are instead working out of hotel rooms, which are not always super reliable or safe, uh, you really needed a place where there was not necessarily supervision, but somebody else in the building for safety, for uh, maintenance. You know, it's a full-time job keeping up with the towels and the laundry just <laughs> yeah. in general. And so it, it's really, it was really important to me to support like the community that has always taken care of me. I needed to be able to take care of them in that way by saying, hey, no, this is our space. This is our time. We're not, uh, you know, I want to prioritize you. So, yeah, amazing. Wow, look at you little entrepreneurs, like just go, go, go. if you're interested in building your own dungeon because you are a professional or aspiring professional, Shayla actually taught a class for seven days of domination about building your own dungeon and all the things that you aren't going to expect that happens and the mistakes that people will all make. All of the, yeah, all of the horror stories and uh, the things that, the exciting life lessons that you learn while building your own dungeon. And so this is something that is often heralded as a sort of peak of a professional dominatrix's career when uh, they have their own space. And it's so much easier than I think people realize it is to build one. Um, On a commercial scale, it can get very expensive, but for somebody who's working out of their home or out of a shared apartment or whatever. Uh, it's a lot easier than people think it is. And it is on seven days of domination. And that is one of the really cool things about seven days of domination uh, is that there is a class on e- everything, on getting started, on various hard skills and soft skills. Hard skills are more like, um, you know, things like impact play or bondage, whereas soft skills are things like negotiation and uh, boundaries and things like that. And then there's also quite a few classes specifically for professionals, um, things like marketing and branding and uh, like 
obtaining your ideal client base, stuff like that. And so there's 55 class, 55 classes. Oh, I think we're over 60. I think we're over 60. And they're all taught by a different professional dominatrix from around the world. So you get all this different input and all these different perspectives. And you really are learning from professionals and not somebody who was like, oh, I learned how to do this. And I've been doing it with my partner for, you know, however long they professionals have done all of these things on different bodies, different body types, different backgrounds, different people, different genders. And so they can really say, hey, here's sort of best practices for this type of activity, or here's been my experience with this activity, which is cool. That's my favorite part is getting to watch the classes. I feel like I'm cheating a little bit. I'm just like, can I, can we hire you to teach this class? But also I really want to learn this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love it. So speaking of seven days of domination, like tell me everything about it. How did this start? What is it like? You know, let's let's dive into it. It was an accident. A happy accident. It was a happy accident. Um, so Seven Days of Domination is a marathon online education event that also provides low-cost education for sex workers. So we have a very hefty discount if you are a, a sex worker of any kind. Um, yeah, massage and, worker, mm-hmm. ham girl, or dominatrix, or full-service provider, or stripper, whatever. And so that's the main offerings that we do. And they're all about one hour classes um, from we have over now we've done nine volumes. So each volume has seven days. That's where it came from. But yeah, as Sheila said, it was a happy accident of the pandemic. We were all bored and we were working on another project. Mm -hmm. And while we're working on that, we're like, let's do a thing and try to make our friends some money. Here's what we need to break even. And then we like soared past that. We created this incredible beautiful community and yeah the rest has just been history we've done it nine times since then we've done it nine times (laughs) and we also have um i guess a newish offering but it's something that we've done well before seven days of domination we've just kind of honed in on it and tightened it up but it's called baby don boot camp and we're debuting the online version of this that will be accessible forever and ever and ever and essentially it's everything that you would need to know to get started in this industry and it's all of the unsexy things all of the soft skills so emails the admin work the you know how to set boundaries where what happens if a client goes insane on you you know just the stuff that I think professional dominatrixes are, if anybody's seen like the media surrounding it, it's like, oh, you show up, the client immediately drops to their knees and kisses your boots. And, but how do you train them to get to be like that? Because that's not really, really what happens. Uh, I will say that my first, my sort of intro into the field, I walked in and I just assumed the clients would automatically know, just, you know, get on your knees, slut. And they were just like, hi, what, what do you want me to do? And I would stand there being like, I actually don't know what I want. (laughs) I don't, what am I allowed to do? Like there's a whip on the wall. Maybe I should start. And so it's very daunting to set up these processes and because it's not all just whips and chains. In fact, it's only like 5% whips and chains. Uh, 90% 90% emails and writing ad copy and editing photo, like watermarking all of your pictures. It's, it's so much admin work. And what about like, I've heard that some, like a lot of the time in dominatrix, you don't actually have sex. Is that right? So in the United States, yes, that is true. And I would say for the most part around, 
the world that is true. In different places, you have different sort of things and expectations. Um, for example, in Europe or in Germany specifically, you have different terms. So you've got the domina who is very strict and very, you know, one with like, you will not touch her. She might not even touch you, that sort of thing. Then you've got your um, bizarre lady, which is a, kind of borders the line between that strict old guard BDSM and more full service offerings, maybe somewhere in the middle, maybe not quite full service, um, full service in this case, meaning like penetrative intercourse um, and or like a girlfriend experience type thing. And then in other places, so New York especially has a really quite a large group of kinky GFE, which is full service with, uh, I mean, a lot of them are classically trained dominatrixes. So it's not just a little slap and tickle while you're fucking. It's they have the hard skills and they are very, very well trained in the art of BDSM and power dynamics and exchange and things like that. So depending on where you are, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, and then, of course, it ranges the spectrum ranges. There are people who there are very old school dominatrixes who say things like this isn't sexual. You cannot jerk off in our sessions. I definitely will not jerk you off. And then there's people like me where I'm, I really enjoy watching other people jerk off. So I'm just like, if you don't jerk off in this dungeon, I'm going to take it as an insult. <laughs> and really? Yeah. It's very, it's very personal to each professional. Yeah. And what you do with one client may be totally different than what you do with another client. And some of this came from safety, right? In the, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, things like that, dominatrixes were not seen as, you know, highly skilled psychological professionals, right? And some of them still aren't. But uh, there was, society had painted every single one of us as hooker, right? And so in order to, and this, you'll see this also in, uh, sort of civilian kinky circles. So if you go to your local munch or your local uh, dungeon party or things like that, you'll meet a lot of people who say kink and sex are not the same. There's a hard line in between the two. And while that's true for some people, it's not true for everybody. A lot of this very vocal saying, oh, you know, BDSM is not sex came from a place of self-preservation because sex clubs and people who traded sex are criminals and dirty and horrible. And people who are doing BDSM or even in any extreme forms of it, it's not sexual. It's a form of therapy. So that, you know, clothed in a blanket of safety. This is not a sex club. This is us doing, you know, ritual sacrifice on each other. <laughs> and mm. it's, I mean, so society, if you asked like my family, I guess, if they thought I was a hooker, they would probably say yes, because <laughs> they don't understand this, right? They don't understand the difference, but there is a right. difference. Yeah. I feel like one of the biggest misconceptions of that is a lot of people couldn't fathom, like, how could you possibly enjoy this if you're not orgasming? And what people don't realize is like doing something that you're either obsessive over or something society tells you you can't do and being able to do that can be the release. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So true. I get off on doing something I'm not meant to do. Like oh, I find what? it the biggest thing. On this? <laughs> um, I mean, this is probably a bad example because it it doesn't like I feel like I this is a really bad example because it's going to make me sound fucked but like I my parents are like super super like traditional and old school and I 
wanted to like experiment with women and, um, you know, date some girls. And I felt like I had this like excitement and joy about it because I felt like I was going against the norm and stuff, which it's, it's, I mean, it's not at all. And it's so normal, but it was like this thing inside me that was like, if my parents found out, I feel like they'd, you know, not know what to do or I don't know. So that would always, that was a really boring example. Um, No, it's not boring because it really ties into a lot of what our clients are doing. Right. And our clients are requesting in the, you know, someone who's been doing this for a long time understands that it's, you know, a normal part of the of human nature, right. To want right. to experiment and do things that are maybe not, not like not very conservative. Right. So for example, right. messing around with women or uh, messing around with like somebody who's the same gender as you or somebody's, you know, much older or much younger or whatever doing crazy activities. But the, a lot of, what brings people into this is the desire to do something that it has been ingrained in our brain for so long as forbidden. And so they want to do these things. And in the beginning, it's exciting because it's forbidden and they're not supposed to. And then once they've done that sort of unlearning, that deprogramming, because I also was raised in a very traditional, like very conservative, very religious household. And once I had done that deprogramming and understanding of I don't, I don't want to get philosophical and be like the human condition, but it kind of is. <laughs> yeah. uh, once I had done all of that, it stopped being sexy because it was forbidden and started being sexy because it was joyful. It was a joyful exploration. It was play. It was fun. It was silly. It was, that's where the excitement really came from for me. And I'm sure that you went through a similar thing. You know, once in the beginning it was, oh, this is a forbidden tryst. And now it's just like, no, this is something I do all the time, but it's, it's changed from forbidden to exciting because it is, you know, the world's my fucking oyster. Mm-hmm. Fully. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's definitely been other stuff, but it's like too fucked up to ever tell another human. So I, I think like when people are like, what's the wildest thing you ever seen? Like, it's, it's always like, if you come up to something with us that we've never heard of, or that feels so wild and off the wall, like, we will probably be more intrigued. Oh yeah. So if you were just like, I want to be spanked and put something put in my butt. We're like, cool. Everybody else is a normal Tuesday morning for me. (laughs) The, so I teach, I do bachelorette parties sometimes in my dungeon where I teach groups of uh, bachelorettes or, you know, bridal party or whatever, how to sort of spice up their sex life with female domination. And many of them, many of them have had no experience in this maybe except a pair of foot furry handcuffs. And that's, that's it. That's all. And so I always tell them in the very beginning of our party, I, uh, I say, all right, write down the kinkiest thing you've ever done, put it in this bag. I'm going to read all of them and I'm not going to say anybody's name. So it's private. And it's always, that. I'd say like 80% of them are things like, Oh, I, you know, one time I had a finger in my butt or me and my husband, oh, like right. you Girl. And then there's always the very first party I ever did. There was one card that has left me scarred for all of my life. It says I regularly masturbate on public buses. And I was what? like, girl, like I didn't know who had written it because it was all in the same, you know, I just, I just said, put them in the bag, but I just looked at it and I said, Oh my God, I can't say this out loud. I can't encourage this behavior. Like this fucked up, like hot, but Did also like, 
it doesn't matter that you are an attractive woman. You are still part of the problem. Like you still cannot masturbate on a public bus. This is not okay. Holy. It was wild. It's wild. And I, so this is the stuff I, I really want to hear. It's hard. <laughs> if, you, if it makes you feel better, you can write it on an index card and put it in a bag and send it to us. And then we'll know. And we won't share it with anybody. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> It's so funny. Oh, masturbating on a public bus. I mean, not only like doing that, but then also like the bacteria in your pussy, like uh, from, the bacteria like, on the bus. Okay, that's what I've already talked about this logistically. And what if they're just kind of grinding on a part where they're so they're not touching specifically? Mm. It's still not okay, but yeah. I mean, if you have a barrier you? there, yeah. It's so, oh, but like you. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how I even, even like fucking on a plane. Like I, whenever I'm flying, I look at the toilet and I'm like, there is just no way you could maneuver in there and get out freely. Like it's just not a thing. Like I'm like, I just that's something as well. Like some form of transport. But anywho, um, <laughs> I love that. So I guess yeah. So not all dominatrix is sex and then I guess like what are the different you know I I know you said everyone's so different but what would be like an average kind of general like uh, experience with a client um, per se so each of us and all of our colleagues have different specialties and some of us like I pretty much only operate in my specialty, whereas some people will operate in a few different parts, but people typically see them for X, Y, Z. Kind of the longer you end up doing this, the more you're either known for something or the more you hone in on the thing that you like or are good at or probably both. So I guess we could speak to it more from a sense of either what our typical sessions are or like that or either the most common requests. Well, we can, I'd say let's start with sort of our specialties and then talk about common requests. Yeah. Yeah, good one. Yeah, tell me about your specialties and what, and also like, I, I want to know about your specialties, but also like what other specialties are because I'm yeah. a rookie and don't know anything about this. Well, the, the thing is, uh, you're saying you're a rookie and you don't know anything about this. You'll reach a point where you've been doing this for many, many, many years and you'll still sit down and be like, I don't know anything about this because the world of BDSM is so so deep so deep I've seen some fucked up shit and I still know that I have not even pierced the surface truly and that's also why like we have over 60 classes we could do this for years and years years and years there's so many long after we die yeah because people are creative in general Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Um, so tell me yeah so I operate within a niche so I'm almost exclusively just do um fetish wrestling sessions which are pulling a lot from jujitsu so it's not like pro style wrestling there's like there's rules and a dance to it and a lot of the times professionally speaking people are very interested in being choked um and having breath play done to them with my body essentially um and that kind of lends itself to a few other things so maybe like verbal domination um some like muscle intimidation i been doing a little bit of vore lately which is basically people who want to imagine me like consuming them swallowing them digesting them 
sometimes burping them up, which can get really fun too. Um, But typically like my sessions are so casual. They operate more into the um, fetish player than a power play or kind of dynamic, which basically just means that aside from the provider client relationship, we don't have that much of a power exchange, really. It's just two people doing a fun, kinky, messed up thing under a set of boundaries and agreements. Um, And yeah, it's honestly a lot less stressful, too, um, (laughs) because I don't have to worry about that whole extra layer. And uh, yeah, usually it's kind of just like, we talk, we get on the mats, um, I'll kind of roll with whatever the things that they requested or if they've given me an idea of what they want. If they haven't, then I kind of just like feel it around of like, do you want to try these couple things that a lot of other people enjoy? And maybe you can see if you like this. Um, and yeah, we'll just, we'll do that for an hour with as many breaks as I want because it is strenuous. Um you know, ish, because I still have to extend it to an hour. So there's things I do strategically as well. Um, Mm. And then I'll let them know when we're wrapping up, I'll usually ask them if they have any last requests, like particular holds, particular chokes. Um, And then we'll wrap up, have a chat, see them out the door, give them a hug or a high five or something. Oh, yeah. And I get paid in the beginning. That's the other thing. I feel like the money thing is always really awkward for people. So I'm like, let's just do it first out of the way. I am so very strictly business. And then after the money has exchanged hands, very casual. Yeah, cool. No, I love that. And and so would... Yeah. Say again, sorry. I said that's when the show starts. Now that you've bought your ticket. Now now the real fun begins. (laughs) Fully. So would that mean that most of your clients would be into some form of like choking and and is there anything else that they would want in your session that, you know, that isn't that? (laughs) Well, one thing I should specify too, because I'm sure this is like people are imagining this in your minds. So I always wear a sports bra and shorts. I wear what I would wear to the gym for a session. They make requests which I will take sometimes. So I, some other fetish wrestlers wear bikinis or bathing suits. I do not. I refuse. But I've had someone buy me like a costume or a cat suit or something like that before. They can wear either underwear or athletic clothes or shorts. They just have to wear something that covers their genitals. One, because it's, it's honestly pretty dangerous. Um, that can get caught and hurt very easily. Um, but also just because we're so incredibly physically close and it's so intimate, that makes me uncomfortable. Um, if towards the end of the session and only for select people, I will let some of them jerk off, but none of it's allowed to touch me. Um, and I don't clean anything up. That's very specific instruction. Um, but a lot of the time, I mean, you're just getting physically close with someone who is believably stronger than you that is overpowering you with their body like that's just really hot I think to anyone in general and then beyond that there could just be something of you know wanting to feel like the weaker person and wanting to do so by someone who like can push you around and can actually beat you or just the fetidization of very strong muscular femme bodies and things like that so I find my specialty is verbal domination of trash talk so a lot of people that come to see me are also there for maybe a little bit of a, a mental mind fuck or escape or something like that. Um, but I don't, I'm trying to think, I mean, a lot of it's like, like hot bully. Yeah. They're a hot bully and they, they love that and they vibe with that. Hopefully. Stop. What? And do you get turned on in the sessions? 
so it's it's a little bit it's not like turned on like I would get when I'm having sex with someone but I there's definitely a high like a top high that I get from it and a bit of I love power tripping um Mm. and that can be really invigorating or fun I get really excited sometimes when I have to do a lot of safety in sessions so especially for really heavy like knockout and breath play sessions that's just kind of fun because I get to exercise my expertise and like feel good about myself but I executed my safety plan really well um but yeah sometimes yeah there's just total top high that you're leaving with so it's it's a different kind of turned on but it's very good and fun and would you guys like obviously what you do in your sessions would you if you're outside of I guess work would you in in your dating someone or whatever would you bring that into the bedroom with um someone new it's it's different for everybody so for a lot of people it's so my personal kinks my personal fetishes I generally don't do at work with clients um it's something that I I need to feel like sacred for me and my partner Mm -hmm. And so the things that I do in session with clients are things that I love. They, just like Lola was saying, they get me uh, top high. They, I find them intellectually stimulating. I find them sort of an exciting puzzle to solve. Um, but they're not what get me off sexually. And that's a very hard boundary for me personally, because I find that if I am busy, do if I'm at work all day with clients or with other kinksters or whatever... I need to come home and have a very clear work-life balance. I need to be able to come home and do things with my partner that don't make me feel like I'm doing unpaid labor. And so that's, and I don't want it to ruin my sex life. You know, I don't want to be doing something really hot with my partner and then do something with maybe a, like a client I don't know very well, or uh, somebody that I've just met who maybe doesn't have the same motivations as I do for the activities. And it just become unsexy or less sexy to me. I don't want, I don't want it to get ruined, you know? Yeah, fair yeah, enough. There. Yeah, and um, I'm like a little bit of all of it where like I stopped doing like butt stuff and pegging with clients um, because it's really intimate to me and I only want to do that with specific people. But I think, I think wrestling and play fighting is really fun. It's going to look very different when I do it with a lover versus the client, but it's something that I enjoy with that regardless. And I mean, a lot of it is I really like kink and I like having it in some fashion of my life. I don't need it in every point of my life. So like my primary partner tries his best, but he's, there's not a kinky bone in his fucking body. It's really nice. um, so like there, our relationship doesn't have any of that at all um there may be like a little sprinkle or something in the future but like that's just something that he's not into or is comfortable with and like i'm totally okay with that so it also really depends on the context of the relationships outside of that because i could also meet another person who i have a really fun kink time with and it, it depends it depends on that other person as well yeah totally yeah, yeah interesting and then um yeah, I guess tell me about your sessions as well. Um, <laughs> They're a little different. <laughs> They're vastly really? different. Oh, yeah. I don't wrestle ever. I have done I'm, it maybe four times in my career, and it's it's a hard no for me. Uh, I have little shrimpy chicken <laughs> arms, and I, I'm not trying to wrestle a 200-pound man. That's just not going to work for me. Uh, my sessions, A lot of my sessions are casual stabbing. Um, it's... 
I do a lot of very invasive types of play. Um, so I do a lot of pegging. I do a lot of medical fetish, uh, which can be things like needles or urethral sounds or, um, you know, blood play. I do a lot of like toilet training. So a lot of golden showers and the like. And what I really love playing with is this idea that like I am playing God, right? I am taking, I'm putting things in the body that don't belong there. I'm taking things out of the body that belong inside. I'm making holes where there were none. I am, and I am the one pulling the strings. I am the one controlling all of this. And Hold on. <laughs> What's needle play? It's uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. I use a sterile needle and I puncture the skin with it. Um, you can do this for pain play. If somebody's a masochist, you can do this as it's actually quite therapeutic. If you've never bottomed for needle play before, I highly recommend it, but find a skilled professional to do it the first time. Um, you can make art on somebody's body. My favorite, one of my favorite clients is a pretty heavy needle bottom and he likes it because A, he likes pain, um, but also he really enjoys the sort of continuous contact that we have the ritual of, you know, opening this, the packaging of the sterile needle, prepping the skin, sliding it in, and then doing this 25, 30, 100 times. Really? And, yeah. Yeah. And they're very, I mean, they're very thin. We're not doing any sort of piercings or permanent piercings. These are very, very, very thin needles that you would use in a medical setting. And we'll buy them from the same places. And mm -hmm. I just use them a little bit differently. But and it's this... no, go ahead. Sorry, I just, I have so many questions. Um, and then golden showers, is that you peeing on the client or them yeah. peeing on you? So, oh, yeah. And, and then. And <sighs> there's, there's a lot of different reasons why somebody would like this. Um, whether it also has a class on I this. also have a class on this on water sports. I'm a uh, self-professed piss queen. And there's a lot of different reasons why somebody would want this and a lot of different forms it can take. So somebody might like it because it's very, very intimate. You know, we only pee, we only use the bathroom behind closed doors, you know, by ourselves. And, you know, we don't talk about it. We don't make any noise about it. And so the intimacy and the vulnerability of being with somebody while they are using the bathroom is can create like get people really close really quickly. Some people like it because it can be kind of humiliating, um, like being peed mm -hmm. on. And I will often tell my piss bottoms, I will say, Oh, you know, you're just like a you're disgusting. You're so foul. This is what you like. This is so stinky. You're gonna be so dirty. Like you're like a porta potty at a music festival. That's where you are in this world. And yeah, and they so they like it because of the humiliation and the degradation. And some people just like it because it's uh it's kind of counter evolutionary. And so, I mean, all of human history, like survival has depended on us digging the latrines far away enough from the settlement, right? And so people are instinctively chase after things that are terrible for them or bad for them or that they're not allowed to do. So for example, roller coasters, if I if that existed in nature, we would be dead. But in the safety of a cart with a seatbelt supervised by, a, you know, built by engineers and supervised by professionals, you can go hundreds of miles an hour down a hill and it's fun rather than, you know, murdering you at the end. Spicy foods in nature will mm -hmm. kill you, but spicy foods prepared by somebody who's good at cooking is delicious and wonderful. And we want to do that again. It's all of this is humans just looking death in the face and saying, you can go fuck yourself. 
So yeah, or it could be it. a worship thing that like they want to consume every part of this goddess yeah. that like anything, give it to anything. me in a cup. Give it to me. This is it's um, kind of similar to uh, you know, the the artifacts, the relics of the saints, how <laughs> churches in Europe will have like a toenail of Saint Christopher or whatever, and people worship the relic. And so somebody mm-hmm. who worships me as a as a goddess, as their dominant, as their mistress, as whatever, uh, will this is something I can give them and they can drink it or they can bathe in it or they can do whatever they want with it, and this is their worship of me. And when you say like they're the needle bottom or the golden shower bottom, does that, so is that just mean that they're the receiver of what you're doing? Yeah. So then they're also like the power dynamic from it. Yeah. So a lot of people will say dom or sub, but dominant and submissive comes with an inherent power dynamic, right? Um, Top and bottom does not. So not all of our clients are submissives. Some of them are fetishists, which are people who, get off on activities or feelings without necessarily needing the structure and the rules that come with dominant and submissive. Right. So dominant and submissive in a session would be there's like your setting boundaries, being quite dominant in obviously you're always setting boundaries, but like there and then they're kind of being told more what to do and there's more of a power dynamic. Yeah. And then if there's a bottom, are you a top then? Yes. Yeah. So then, and then they would, it's not so much of like a power thing where you're like put, like, how would that work? What would be the difference, I guess? So, I mean, there's still the power dynamic of provider yeah. and client. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's like similar to if you go get a massage, yeah. like, yeah, they're still guiding it in structure, but like you can also being like, "Hey, that hurt. Can you do it a little bit lower? Whatever." Yeah. yeah. I'm, okay. I'm cool. Gonna do, I'm gonna do what my masseuse says when she says roll over. I'm gonna roll over. But if she said, you know, you're a little bitch with knots all over your spine, <laughs> I'm gonna be like, "Excuse me, this is very poor customer service." Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great example. Um. Okay. So sorry, I kind of butted in because I you have said so many interesting <laughs> things. So talk to me about your sessions again. So needle play, yeah. golden needle showers. Play, golden showers, uh, invasive procedures, uh, things like pegging or uh, urethral sounding or... Um, what is urethral sounding? Urethral sounding is the insertion yeah. of you. metal or plastic rods into the urethra. Much more in, common in, than in, people with penises because yeah. it's a lot more dangerous for people with vulvas, although yeah. it can be done. It can be done with people with vulvas. It is just, I mean, urinary tract infection city. Uh, I mean, it is for yeah. people with penises. I get a UTI too. from nothing. Oh, yeah, alone. me too. Like, just talking about this, I can feel one brewing. And yeah, yeah, me too. Like, do I need to pay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so people with penises, it's a lot easier because the tube is a lot longer, so they are less prone. It doesn't mean that they're... Uh, invincible, but they are less prone to urethral to uh, urinary tract infections. And so, so what they, do you mean you shove a rod in there? Like, do you use lube or do you just yeah. get it in? You use lube. Yeah. It's all well. It's a sterile procedure, so you have to have yeah. sterile sounding rods, which are normally metal, and you go through a whole process of sterilizing those. It's not as simple as just wiping them down with alcohol and calling it a day. 
you need sterile lube, sterile lube, which comes in little packets, sterile packets. You, many people use an autoclave or a pressure cooker to sterilize their instruments um, because it is an actual, if outdated, medical procedure, but it can feel quite pleasurable for people. And we have a class on that, too. We, we have, have a class, class on that, too. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I feel like I need to get you guys back on for, like... <laughs> Like, I want to do a whole episode on fucking pegging. Like, you know. So, I have a whole series for that. I have well, actually, series. my series of pegging is for, it's more intended for lovers, so it can be used by professionals. And it's more of like sensual and intimate pegging um, that also make it easier for the pegger of like more lazy positions. It's a whole lot of work. Pegging is a whole lot of work. Yeah. It's, uh, I love a lazy pegging position. I actually purchased a sex swing to put my clients in, so I had to do less work. <laughs> I am all Did about you? I'm about ergonomic workplaces. And I love it. So wait, so talk so tell me about this like rod situation. So uh, do they have do they have to be hard? No. It's easier so it, if they are, but yes, the urethra is a surprisingly hungry hole. <laughs> and really? It, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> love and this. so you can put quite large rods in there uh with li- i mean with no force if you have to force it you need more lube the urethra really? will stretch yep the urethra will stretch it will open right up it will swallow you know things thicker than a pencil and with ease and for a lot of people this feels very pleasurable to them uh people have described it to me as uh cuz done done properly it's not painful people have described it to me as the feeling of peeing and coming at the same time. Really? Yeah. And so especially when you're moving it back and forth, the urethra is very sensitive. And so the walls of it can feel very pleasurable when stimulated. And so when you're penetrating your urethra, when you're putting a tube in there and, you know, moving it back and forth, like you're actually fucking the urethra, it's uh, a lot of people find this very, very pleasurable. Oh my god! I think this is my favorite episode I've ever recorded. <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't take much to like. Like, I'm pretty sweet with everything, and I'm obviously so fine with this. But it doesn't take much much to shock me. I mean, no, sorry, it does. It takes a lot to shock. Me. There we go. Said it wrong. Um, and I'm like shook. Like that's wild, and I love it. Like. I can't. Um, okay, so you got the and then what about and then pegging? Are they the only like four or five things that you do, or do you do other stuff too? Oh, you said burning. I do so, I do so much stuff. How much time do we have? <laughs> if you wanted me to do a rundown of every skill that I've got or everything I've been asked for, like we're going to be here for days. But what I will are, say this: outrageous. Like not. I mean, obviously I mean, it's not outrageous, but like I guess against the norm of society. You know which one. It I know is. which one it is. It's. Uh, I don't want to dwell on it. Yeah. It's, this is a. This is a podcast full of not professionals. Um. Men eat my shit all the time. They eat it. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yep. What? It is, it is probably my most requested thing. No. Yes. In front of they you. They chew it and swallow it. No. But what if you don't need a poo? Yeah. It, do you, uh, well, do you, I trained. I trained my body to do this. You know, they'll say, "I want to book a session on Tuesday at 10 a.m." and I'll say, "Great," and I'll prep it. 
a lot of us are like athletes with like certain things. We just get used to it. So like I'm that way with squirting. We have a friend that who's that way with like kind of self puncturing with needles. Like oh, yeah. you just get really good at it and knowing what you need to do. You really get to know your body super well. Like me and my like digestion system, we're buddies. We we know what really? makes each other tick. Like I know exactly what to eat to get the right timing, to get the right consistency. Um, and so it's one of those things where in the beginning it was very difficult to do this on command. And now, I mean, we're years in and I'm just like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. I love it. I think it's funny. I think it's so funny so, to do this. So you'll, oh my God, I can't. I love this. Okay. So you'll get like the request for a guy to want to eat your shit. Yeah. And then, and then you'll, they'll come to the session and you'll, you'll probably at this point feeling your poo brewing, right? Or, or you, yeah. or you're so. Yeah. It's you wait brewing. till like the end. I you wait don't want to deal end. with it. Yeah. I wait. Cause if a, if a client books a session with me, it's not, I mean, sometimes I'll do a drive by shitting. I don't do those so much anymore. Well, they literally will pop in for 30 minutes. I will shit right then and there and then they'll shower and leave. But normally that's part of a larger session. And so somebody will come into me for any of the things that I've just listed, uh, any of the, the, you know, the bondage or the role play or the pegging or the sounding or whatever, um, cock and ball torture. It's that's all fun and games. And then it comes time for the sort of grand finale, because if you poop on somebody first thing, then you either have to break the flow of the scene to put them in the shower or you have to play with the poop. And I'm not interested in that. I want them to eat it. They they begged for it. So they better clean their plate. So. 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 okay, So run me through this. So there. So. So how do you shit? Like, do you, do you have a plate under your bum and then you like squat and shit on it? Um, everybody's different. Some people will yeah. shit into, will request that you shit into a Tupperware or in front of them or whatever. Cause everybody's into different things. Some people just want to watch. Some people want you to do it on their body. So I have a, I have like mm-hmm. a toilet chair that you have for like a commode type deal. Um, that like, people with mobility issues use to like go to the mm-hmm. toilet. Something you'll have it at like your bedside or whatever. Uh, mine just is on legs. And so I can put that over somebody's body or over somebody's face and then just shit, just sit on it. Like I'm using a regular okay, so toilet. <laughs> really? Yes. And then how long would they normally like take to eat it? I mean, I've seen people eat it in one fell swoop. It's some of them are wild. Some of them eat so fast. One guy is dry right <laughs> <laughs> now. a fork to my to the sessions so that he can no. eat Yeah. I love hearing about these so much. Yeah. I don't do them, but I love hearing yeah. about them. I do want to do one where like I wrestle them and they lose and as a punishment, like she yeah, has to shit, shit on them. Yeah. Yeah. So and and like do they have a gag or are they just they're obsessed with it? It depends on the person. I, some people, the moment the train leaves the station, so to say, they freak out and sort of try to roll away or dodge it <laughs> and because they realize they're not ready for this. Uh, for some mm-hmm. people, they, they don't even gag. They just literally open their mouth and just swallow the whole thing immediately and then say, they say, can I have seconds? For, for most people, it's kind of in the middle. Oh. They, they chew it. They have a hard time swallowing it. They sort of mush it around. Oh, uh, well, I literally un- unrelated to brown sessions, though. Um, 
Jayla also does and really loves couple sessions. Oh yeah, I love couple sessions. Especially like it's it's one of those things. You're making, this, you're making this face right now. I know that if you need to get a glass of water, like that's totally fine. <laughs> no, no, no. I am no, 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 this no, is no, a fine. lot. It's a I, lot no, 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 of no, people. Right. <laughs> I love it. I just sorry, I just dry reached like four times. So I, I love it. I'm just I'm too imaginative and um I visualize things too much that when you were telling me that it, the, 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 like you doing that doesn't bother me. It's the fact that I imagined eating a shit and. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, never, never yeah. imagine yourself as the bottom. Always imagine yourself as the top. Um, no, I was imagining myself as the bottom. Or, or cheering on the top from the sideways. Like, yeah, you go girl, you shit all over them. Like honestly, like one yeah. of my favorite activities is peeing on people with other people oh, or yeah. cheering on my friends while they do it. They're such nice bonding. It, yeah. It's really great. Highly really? recommended friends. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the dry reaching was I was imagining me having a shit fall into my mouth. And that was, that was why I gagged. Anyway, let's, let's, <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, it. So what's the couple thing? So I do a lot of teaching of couples. Um, so somebody who is maybe their, their partner is really into BDSM or watches a lot of BDSM porn or has a lot of fantasies. And maybe they're the top doesn't quite know how to fulfill them or doesn't have the right training. So for some of these activities, you need a little bit of training. So anybody can tie somebody up with furry handcuffs, but you, you know, ever I feel like everybody's got like a like a kinky sex related injury. Like, oh, I got nerve damage from pulling the the furry handcuffs too tight, or I, you know, sprained my butthole from just like, or somebody else's butthole from pegging them too fast. Did we lose you? Oh, no. I, oh, it, there it she is. Okay. For a second. Or I sprained my butthole for, you know, from pegging somebody too hard or going too big too fast or whatever. And so bringing, so finding a professional dominatrix who can help you with these types of sessions or these types of activities can be really, really fun for couples because there's not a lot of education around this stuff. If you look up bondage on the internet, you're going to see a lot of rope stuff. You're going to see a lot of, you know, things that you can buy to have bondage with each other. But what happens when your partner says, Hey, I have this headphone cable. Is that going to work? Like, let's try with this. And uh, or just that there's like a dynamic already. And so it's kind of hard if you've been like together for six years. So it kind of helps if you just put a third person in there to like be the loop. That is a thing. I One of my most recent sessions with a couple, it was a, a man who had really serious female domination fantasies and his girlfriend was into it, was into it. She goes, I've always wanted to do this. I love this stuff, but I also really love my partner and I don't want to say mean things to him, even though I know that this is his fantasy. And so we workshopped some mean things that were maybe easing into it, right? Because we needed to get her to the confidence level to where she can call the love of her life, you know, a dumb bimbo slut who's good for nothing. And he loves that. He loves that. And she loves him and she wants to give him what he wants. But she also needs to feel good about it. It needs to be a two-way fulfillment. And that's what I really specialize in is finding activities for couples, maybe where one couple is more or less into an activity than the other one is and sort of reframing that to where it benefits both parties. Obviously, I feel like a lot of people hear the terms like safe words and I guess, how do you define what a safe word is and does it change between clients? And can you just explain this to me a little bit? 
So a safe word is generally regarded as something to to say or do that's so out of the ordinary in a normal conversation. So if I am having uh, what's considered vanilla sex with a partner, which is not kinky sex, and I say, no, stop that, it's, you know, play will stop, the sex will stop, and we'll check in and we'll say, but in a BDSM scene, it can be really fun to play with power dynamics and consent and things like that. And so while everyone in the room is consenting, uh, no, and stop, from a client or a bottom to me might mean, you know, go further or I want this or I love this. And so we'll have a safe word, which is normally something so out of the ordinary, like newspaper or pineapple or uh, what a lot of people use now is the stoplight system. So yellow is something like, you know, slow down, or I don't know how much more of this I can take, or things are okay, but we're starting to get really close to something that's going to be upsetting or harmful to me. And Mm -hmm. red, stop everything, stop immediately. Uh, Let's check in and see, you know, maybe something is painful or pinching. And for example, in bondage, uh, you might get a sharp pain and you're like, oh, wait, actually, the restraints are too tight. Or, uh, in pegging, it might be, oh, I just, you know, you've, you've, you're going just like way too hard. Can we change positions or something like that? So, or maybe you've said something humiliating that I didn't realize was going to be a little bit triggering. Can we talk about this or can we have a little check-in? And so it's a way, safe words and are a way to play with boundaries without crossing them. Or if you do cross them, it's a way to stop and check yep. in and make sure that they don't get crossed again. And does and that is that something that happens often? So it's a little it's different for everyone and how they use it. So typically in my sessions, um, because I'm going to be choking them a lot, um, I'm going to need them to use their safe word a lot so we can reset. It's something that needs to happen frequently, and we usually use nonverbal safe words, which is like a multiple tap on my body. So they'll do that quite often. And what that means is check in, reset, let go of the hold, um, et cetera. So they'll do that quite often. And then we might have a separate word or something like that, that would then signal like end the scene or something's not right, just not with like the thing we're agreed upon. And beyond that, I'll usually explain to them, like, when I choke you, just don't get worried that I'm going to like just strength, just crank it right away. I'm going to do it really slowly. So you have a lot of room to tap out like, and I'll explain to them everything that's going to happen and how they can communicate with me when they want more, when they want less, how they're feeling a certain way. And typically because it's one provider who's seeing many, many different people, usually you're just going to default to whatever words or phrases or signals the provider wants is what you do. Because if we had to remember what every single client's safe word is, good luck. Yeah. 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 That's why there's kind of a sort of consensus. That's why a lot of people use the stoplight system. It's really helpful at parties. Uh, If you're in a, you know, a a party with lots of other people and the music's kind of loud, you'll have things called dungeon monitors or guardians. And so they will go around and they will listen for whatever the house safe word is. So normally something like red or mercy. That way they can identify if a bottom is in trouble and maybe the top is going a little too hard or and they can step in and say, oh, hey, this is a thing. Um, and I, I teach all of my clients the same safe words, just like Lola teaches them the same nonverbal safe words, which is important when you can't speak or, you know, in the case of being choked out, like breathe even. <laughs> yeah. So if I, if I put a gag in my client's mouth, 
uh, or if I'm, you know, I've got my strap on, on, and I'm like fucking their face, they are, they normally can't, they're, they're going to have a, you know, a mouthful of silicone and be like, oh, right, okay. like, that's not going to work. And so you'll have a nonverbal safe word, or sometimes in the case of bondage, you'll have something that they can, like a bell that they can ring or a ball that they can drop. That way, when you, you know when they've dropped it, that something needs to to switch up a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. A lot of people see safe words as a last resort when they should not be. They should be the first the first line of defense. You should uh, you should feel very comfortable safe wording. And what I find a lot of bottoms almost take they take this sort of perverse in a bad way pride in not safe wording like how much of this can i stand when it's not about how much you can stand it should be how much is joyful how much is yeah. fun how much is enthusiastic yeah. because i don't want you to come out of here feeling like you you know you were just like held up in the middle of a tornado i want you to feel amazing when you walk out of my dungeon so i make all of my bottoms practice saying their safe words. And I always reassure them, I'm not going to be mad at you for using a safe word. I'm not going to be disappointed that you use a safe word. I'm going to feel thankful that you used a safe word with me because I know that I can trust you. Mm -hmm. Because if you just keep going and keep going and keep going, then I don't know where the limits are. And I don't want you to walk out of here. There's have been uh, fortunately very few, but a uh, few occasions where somebody's emailed me the next day or called me a few days afterwards saying, you know, this was a lot and I'm having a lot of trouble processing. And I, I don't know why I did the things or said the things that I said. And, you know, I'll say, well, you know, maybe we should work on this together. I want you to feel good about this and not that you, this happens a lot with cis men where they feel like they have to prove themselves through masochism, mm -hmm. which <laughs> It, you know, it's really fun if you're a sadist. I, I love a masochistic man. I do. But at the same time, I don't want, I don't want you to like go on your hero's journey in my dungeon, right? <laughs> this is something mm -hmm. you need to do with a therapist. I want you to be here with me getting punched in the balls because we're both having a good time doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. And I guess like what, what got you both individually, what got you into like being interested in this, um, like into the Dom stuff? Like what was the first, do you remember the first time? Like, tell me about it. So we, we met in a commercial dungeon. So we started, or a house as they call it. So we started um, professionally doming around the same time. How I got into it was I, I would always been like maybe a little bit kinky and I was starting to delve into it more. Um, I thought I was a submissive and I had met someone who I really enjoy the Petri dish and he was really into like verbal and physical humiliation. And I was like, Oh, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm into that or if I like it, it sounds sort of mean, let me do some digging. And I did, I tried some things out and I was like, turns out I love it and I'm great at it. And at the same time I got fired from my job and I needed to make money and I have a new skill. So that's, that's sort of how it came about. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty much just from like dating someone and that kind of yeah. yeah. And like I started it. doing um, wrestling and sex education all at the same time. So it was kind of getting fired from the job, like happened at the very perfect moment. Right. Is the universe kind of pushing you into this? Yeah. yeah. Same kind of. Uh, I, 
I have been a stripper since I was 18 years old. And mm -hmm. I had done that for many, 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 many years. And I was really sort of, I had moved to New York and I was kind of jaded with the strip club scene and I'd been doing it for so long and it was starting to get on my nerves. And I said, there's got to be something else. And I said, we're in New York. There's got to be some sort of weird, sexy job that I can do because that's who I am. I'm weird and I am sexy. So I uh, found a, like a dungeon on Craigslist. And I said, yeah, let's, let's see what this is about. Let's do it. And I also had been a little bit kinky, mostly from the submissive side, because I didn't really know that topping was what I wanted. I didn't realize that I was a little bit intimidated by it. I said, you know, what do, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do these things. I'd had boyfriends over the years who had been kinky, who had, we had played together. They had tied me up. They had spanked me. They'd done all these things. And it was really only after I learned, I got sort of an education, a kink education in the dungeon, the, you know, commercial professional dungeon that I realized all of those men were, had been doing it wrong and had just really? learned by doing, like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Had been making crazy mistakes and like no total disregard for my safety. And I had no idea until I learned, oh, this will give you nerve damage. Oh, this will give you internal bleeding. Oh, this is well, what we did was actually what we did while wasted was actually quite dangerous and we should not have done it. And I'm lucky to be alive like that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. uh, I this is something that happens a lot with women is that we feel underqualified or we're not ready to to do things until we have a thorough education on it or a thorough overview or understand all of the moving parts. We're reluctant to jump in the pool, whereas dudes will just, especially dudes in their 20s, will just cannonball into the deep end and be like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Like, I know how to do this. I yes, was born with fine. a penis. So clearly, yes. yeah, I, I know everything. Instruction manual. Yeah, I've got some jumper cables, babe. Let's tie you up. Like, this is going to be a good time. So it's, it's wild. It's absolutely wild. Some of the sexual, some of the kinky experiences I had in my 20s. And then once I started doing it professionally, I went, oh, no. <laughs> what, what would have been something that could have been dangerous, like that was dangerous that you didn't know? A lot of bondage. A choking. lot yeah. of, yeah, bondage choking. Choking is really, this is wild how many people will just casually choke their partners in bed with mm -hmm. no negotiation, with no uh, real technique, with no safety conversations. They just think, oh, I'll just do it. And then when she starts gagging, I'll stop. And that's wildly unsafe. And even people who yeah. receive it, because I teach a choking course with my colleague LT and like so many people there, they think that they like a certain type of choking and we show them like the different ways of doing it. And they're like, oh wait, I like the first one where it doesn't hurt. Yeah. That one. Yeah. I didn't know it couldn't hurt. Right. Yeah. right. Because yeah, because uh, so bondage is BDSM and that's yeah. yeah, so tying and binding. I'm just like Googling it to make sure that I'm across what it is. So yeah. like what about that? could be dangerous, like tying something too tight or something or in the wrong tying area. Tying something too tight uh, can cause nerve damage, especially around the wrists. Yeah. Uh, furry handcuffs are notoriously bad for this because they are metal and they are often the fur part is just a little tiny piece of fabric. And so you have a lot of little bones in your hand and in your wrists. Mm. And if you are doing something, especially where you're struggling, you can 
cause nerve damage. You can break these little tiny bones in your wrists, especially if, say, for example, you get you pair that with impact play, which is something like spanking or flogging. You, you know, if something hurts and you sort of flinch or you struggle or you move, you can you can hurt, you can very seriously hurt yourself, especially if things are too tight. You can cut off the circulation. You can cause nerve damage. This mm-hmm. is, uh, this can happen with rope. This can happen with handcuffs. This can happen with uh, any type of metal or plastic, like zip ties people will use sometimes. Um, and so it's really important to sort of understand basic human anatomy, but also there's a lot of BDSM safety courses. Uh, and the rope community is really good about this, about leaving a certain amount of space in there about not tying things too tight about checking Mm. in with your bottoms i always if i am restraining somebody's arm like hands or feet i always tell them like i need you to wiggle your fingers for me i need you to tell me if anything starts to get i'll check their hands and their feet if they start to get a little cold or colder than the rest of the body or i'm like if you are you tingling like what's going on here looking for the warning signs rather than just going (coughs) just full steam ahead, which I find when you're in playtime, this is something that will get lost really easily, especially if both partners are sort of in the heat of the moment. And you're like, yeah, we're we're both having a great time. And then afterwards you're like, oh fuck, this is actually kind of devastating and has long lasting impacts. Who knew? Yeah. Mm, Right. Oh my God, so interesting. And what does BDSM actually stand for? That's really dumb of me, but it's a couple of different camps. There's bondage, there's discipline. So bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, sadism, masochism. And it doesn't have to be all of these things. It can just be any single one of these things. So you don't need to okay. have the BD, the DS, and the SM for it to count as BDSM. Yeah. Right. S&M, so sometimes you'll see BDSM referred to as S&M. S&M is almost always sadism and masochism. Uh, which is like pain, somebody giving the pain and somebody receiving the pain. Whereas BDSM is much larger, you know, bondage, discipline, domination, submission, you know, all of the, right. all of the really fun things. I'm glad I asked that because I actually didn't know that. That's <laughs> um, so interesting. Okay. So what about um, like your family and dating and all of that? Like what's, what do you, do you tell your family's details about like what you do? How do they kind of react to it? My, my family knows and yeah. they are, oh, my brothers especially are super chill. They are like, right. do whatever makes you happy. And they, I don't know how much of it they understand because neither of them are kinky, I think. And if they were, I don't think they would tell me. But they, yeah. they've they always known that, like, Shay- oh, well, Shayla's always going to forge her own path. And so that's fine. Um, and and your family knows. Um, they know a lot more about the sex education part than, like, the fetish wrestling and pro-dom work. I remember when my mom saw it, she was like, well, that sounds mean. And I was like, well, yeah, that's sort of the point. Um, but... I think in general, like we have a bit of a like, you know, safer negotiation of like, if they want to know more, they can ask questions, but I don't really talk to them that much. Um, I would talk to them more about the sex education side because that's easier for them to wrap their heads around. I talk to them about the business portion more, but like there's a lot of things I do that my parents don't or wouldn't approve of, but I also, my self-worth and confidence is not based on their approval. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then dating wise, like 
um, I just I started dating my now like live in partner at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was something where like because I'm a public figure and a persona, someone needs to be like accepting and encouraging of that. But they also need to like me and not just the persona or not want me to be on, etc. And honestly, being like a super squirter is much more of a polarizing point in a deal breaker than it is me being a professional dominatrix. Surprisingly so, yeah. 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 Really? They'll make it they'll make it all about them or they'll like kind of shame me about it. And like I also want to be allowed and given space to hate squirting. And I need my person to support that as well. To, to what? Sorry, to hate squirting, not like oh, it. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes how, it's really inconvenient. Sometimes you're like, "Fuck yeah, my body is amazing," and sometimes you're like, "Wow, I've done so much laundry." Yep, yep. Mm. Do you? Would you squirt every time you have sex? Anytime I feel a certain level of pleasure. Yeah, it's like. Sometimes I'll abstain from it because I'm like, I don't feel like squirting today. So I don't, I don't do it. God, I just, I just wish I could do it. Don't You're like too much. Yeah, don't. I mean, yeah. anybody can do it. Lola has a series of classes on squirting, actually, mm-hmm. if you want to just walk yourself through it. Uh, they're, they're quite good. I've watched them, but I, I am a very, 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 very occasional squirter. And I've found it to be the same thing whenever I do squirt the other person has made it about them. They're like, I made you do that. And I'm like, you didn't though. Um, It's my Mm -hmm. body that did the thing. Uh, I am not a big squirter and it's been, it's actually fairly rare for me. And I don't, I didn't really enjoy it when I did it. I think people herald it as, and this is sort of like patriarchy, like I made somebody square. This is the ultimate thing. It's like, it's very close to, it's like very visual and very visceral. And so men will, cis men will, like equate it to their own ejaculate and then they think oh i made you do that thing and so they herald it as this this is the thing this is the penultimate thing that a woman can do because it's so similar to their thing that they can do and so when it's not it's not always pleasurable it's not always a sign of orgasm and i mean most of the time it's just really every time i squirted i'm like oh god the laundry yeah yeah like, right. this didn't feel good for me this just felt like i mean sure it's like feels like a relief or a release but it didn't it didn't accompany an orgasm and so i'm like fuck it this is overrated yeah right interesting and what about like would you i guess tell your like how how would your partners or how do your partners that you've had in the past or you said you're in a relationship now like how yeah both of you are so with like I guess like how much detail would you go into like would you let your partner know about like the needle play the the golden showers graphic 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 detail I bring home stories about sessions like I have hunted a lion and I'm bringing it home for the settlement to eat for dinner. I come home and I'm like, babe, guess what I did today? And he's, my fiance is very, very, he is kinky. A lot of the things that I love to do, he's terrified of. And (laughs) it's, I mean, which is fine, right? He's, he's also a switch. So he'll, he'll bottom and he'll top. And, and so 
a lot of the things that I like to do, he sort of shies away from. He's like, I'm not going to do this with you. Definitely not. You cannot. I always offer. I'm like, but babe, people pay so much money for this and I'm giving it to you for free. And they're like, I'm good. He's like, I'm, I'm, I don't need that. Like, thank you. That's a very generous of you, Shayla. Um, But yeah, so he'll, he'll take it in graphic detail. I will tell him he only winces sometimes. And it is when I'm like, Mostly when I'm describing consistency of various <laughs> fluids, and then he's like, "Oh, I just, I just ate. Could you, could you not?" And or sometimes he'll flinch whenever I talk about like needles and genitals, for example, because he imagines himself in that position, and he's yes. like, "Oh, I don't, I don't want you to do that to me. So let's not talk about this anymore." But he's extraordinarily supportive. Um, he he sees it like I do. Is this this is a really fun creative outlet and just an exciting way to connect with other humans. And he, I mean, he supports that fully and all, I mean, has from day one. So my partner is very squeamish. So I'll try to tell him like your stories. And he's like, no, (laughs) not at all. No, when I had the vor session, the burping thing, he could not, I wanted to tell, I've had so much fun in that session of like, fake consuming and burping out this man and he couldn't hear any of that because the burping thing like and he's the one who gave me the idea he's like kombucha makes you burp like crazy i'm like thank you for the tip um but he's very supportive of what i do i find that it's more like anyone with any job where i'll just tell him like a win for the day so i'll be like i had a client that said this funny thing or like i said this funny thing and then here's what it is and like leave it at that um, but there's like so many things or he's just like, I do not want to know that I, yeah, I'm going to take it on. He's an empath too. So he's going to take on like, kind of like what you were doing before when yeah. you were imagining yourself eating the shit. Yeah. He puts himself <laughs> yeah. in that position and then it's, yeah. oh, I don't, I don't like where I am right now. <laughs> Fully. I, yeah, I definitely envisioned that. It's hard not to. <laughs> and and then I guess I have two more questions for you. So firstly, like do your clients ever explain why they want these certain things done to them or they want to experience certain things? Like do you ever have a proper understanding of that? It's 50-50. Um, it's definitely 50, 50. Sometimes they will send these grandiose emails about which some of them are of questionable authenticity because there's nothing men like love more than writing erotica. They don't realize they love it, but they do. (laughs) And so they will, I will sometimes get these emails that are five pages long that start with a description of their childhood and how they got to this point. And some of it is them trying to explain away some of their own shame. And they yeah, think right. they are ashamed of their desires and they say, oh, it started in childhood. Like they can't control the way that they are. And so I should not be angry or disgusted with them for their desires. What they don't realize is I am not angry or disgusted with any of them for their desires. Like um, you're coming to a professional, you're dealing with this in a healthy manner. Like, hell yeah, let's do it. Like this is going to be a great time. Um, so half of them do that. And the other half don't really explain it all. They just show up and they say, oh, I really love feet or I really love bondage or I really love pegging. And it takes a little bit more work. Any good professional is going to be able to draw out that motivation. Uh, Princess Callie is a a friend of ours and has been on Seven Days of Domination before and is absolutely a, a pioneer in this, has been a sex educator and a kink educator for decades, right? And so she really pioneered this school of thought, which is kink as acti- as feelings rather than activities. 
So mm-hmm. if you want to come into, if you want to submit to somebody because you want to feel small, then that's different than if you want to feel degraded, right? And so yeah. you have, yeah, you approach things from different angles, from different feelings. It's like just like with the golden showers. I want this to be a worship. I want to worship you, which is why I want to receive a golden shower versus I want to be degraded or I want to do something nasty and forbidden. And so you'll, a professional will approach each activity with that motivation in mind to give this bottom the experience that they want or that both the top and the bottom want and to have this experience together. So if they don't already, if they don't open their emails with it, then it's my job to get it out of them. Right. I always will ask my clients what it is, but like, I don't, none of that happens in email email I'm like what kind of session do you want what's the activity and then we get there and unless they have something where they're like i want to be interrogator of fear and i need them to like work on why that is and the, the boundaries within that but i'll ask them in session because it kills time um and i <laughs> and i also genuinely find it interesting and i just kind of like comparing notes of other clients and i'm like what are the all the ways that people get into this one thing of this one specialty that I do, is there any kind of consistency or is it all sort of random? Um, but I almost never get the page long emails of it. Cause usually also because everyone's like very much a fetishist, they're usually just like, here's a thing I want. And I'm like, cool. Have you thought about if you want this with it or what, what's too much? Do you want to feel scared? Do you want to feel like we're playing? Like they're like, Oh, I haven't thought about those things. <laughs> so really? yeah. Yeah. God, so I'd love to like, like, read your inbox. <laughs> no, you don't. Oh, it's a dumpster fire. It is an absolute dumpster fire. It's a nightmare sometimes. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Five pages as well. Like, fuck reading that. It's a, it's a, some of it's kind of interesting, but some of it is just written. Some of it is fake. And yeah. some of it is, you know, they're telling these, these stories about what happened in their childhood or how they used to have a mistress who did this or whatever. And it's, it's just for their own boner. They're writing it one-handed at 2 o'clock in the morning. They're typing these emails to me. And then after they've come, they forget that they send it. So when I send an email back asking for a deposit, they're like, oh, wait, I didn't mean to do that. And <laughs> Really? Yeah. Hectic. And then I guess what about if there's one of my listeners or anyone's kind of looking to explore BDSM and this, you know, just this area at all, what would you recommend them to do? Well, first, I would recommend that they sign up at sevendaysofdomination.com <laughs> for all of our classes. Uh, but the first thing that I would really recommend is because the world of BDSM is so vast, it's so big, I would argue that it's more, it's less important to figure out what activities you want to do and more important to figure out how you want to feel. So how does, when you think about being tied up or when you think about being pegged, what is the desired feeling in there? When you're watching this porn or you're reading these stories or you're listening to your friends like sexploits, how does it make you feel and what, where do you want to take it? And I would, so start there and then work your way out because. Yeah. And you can start there by going to our kink feelings chart that we have on seven days of domination. Um, That was partially inspired because we were joking that men are really horrible at describing feelings other than horny and aroused. Um, so we had an <laughs> illustrator and we made a bunch of different feelings that you can choose from. Um, so cool. if you're like, I don't know what are the feelings I'm supposed to want to feel, 
we yeah we've made it a multiple choice for you it's like oh i want to feel cherished but also used or i like feeling degraded but i also want to feel seen or heard or whatever you know you can sort of pick and choose your own your own adventure but and you can kind of point at the face and say oh this is exactly the word for the feeling that I've been thinking of in my brain whenever I masturbate, this is how I want to feel. Mm -hmm. And then you go from there because it can be, you know, anybody can take a rope class. Anybody can get flogged at a party, but there have been a lot of times where I've tried an activity with maybe a person I didn't click with, or it was done with the motivation or an intent that made me feel things that I didn't really want to feel or didn't, or was bored by feeling. I'm just like, Oh, you're flogging me. This is, fine. Like it's just not, it's not my bag. And whereas for other people, this is such a therapeutic or beautiful or whatever experience for them. And I'm like, okay, this is the, obviously y'all's feeling motivations matched up there, or you got what you needed. And I just didn't from this experience. And I find that getting, not getting what you want or need from a kink experience can turn you off of it altogether. You're gonna be like, well, I'm never doing that again. When it's like, it can be really fun if you do it right. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say that. And sometimes like novelty can get in the way. So like when I first started getting into kink, I thought I liked being spanked. Um, but it, it was just the novelty of it. And what I really liked was the attention and I can get attention without getting hurt. Yeah. So it it, it can take some digging. Yeah. And what, um, class on seven days of domination, would you recommend people to start with? Oh God. I mean, you can start with any of them. I mean, how about inclusive negotiations if you really want to get to basics like basics basics we have our ascend i mean i guess the essentials are more for professionals as well too we have different bundles that have different packages based on if you want to learn like financial domination versus you want to do the bathroom bundle and everything based on all those fluids or you're Um, a masochist and you want to do the ouch bundle which mm -hmm. is just all the pain classes yeah and so it's it's important to figure out kind of what you want to do, what path you want to go down and then go from there. So say you really want to do bondage, there's bondage classes. Say you really want to do, you're intrigued by the idea of giving somebody a golden shower or pegging them or fisting them or sounding them. Any, literally anything that has, we've talked about on this podcast, there is a (laughs) class for. So just listen to it again and take notes this time. Be like, oh fuck, I loved the idea of sounding. Let's take that class. Yeah. Cause they're just short snippets that are like designed to get you into the thing. Maybe not necessarily mastering the thing, depending on what it is. Um, If you are interested in doing this professionally, if you're like Shayla and Lola sound like cool bitches, I want to be a part of their crew. Um, Our baby non bootcamp launches online starting December 3rd. And it's, Eight weeks in total, we break for um, the holidays, for Christmas, and for New Year's. Um, but it's all online, so you can join us live. You can watch the recordings. Um, if you're within North America, you can purchase our uh, Baby Dumb Boot Camp workbook. Um, you get that oh. in a PDF version. If you live elsewhere, you can still get it. Shipping's just going to cost a lot. Yeah. But we will <laughs> oh, ship it. We've yeah. shipped it as far as Singapore. Yeah. So if somebody's out there in Singapore right now learning how to be a dominatrix from our workbook. I love it. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, thank you so much, guys. It's I've learned so much and absolutely loved chatting to you guys. Like this has literally been my favorite. It's just I've <laughs> 
uh, yeah, I've really, really enjoyed chatting with you. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. And I will see you all on Thursday. Bye. Cats Out of the Bag is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. Special shout out to Rode Microphones for powering this episode.